0: it's time to get real with robin join veteran broadcaster robin cote and her co-hosts
1: known as the
2: collective
0: as they delve into subject matters that most are afraid to talk about but need to hear and now get ready to get real yeah let's get real I say the following statement with absolutely no political agenda or motivation, but solely as a sex crimes expert, living in a bubble can harm our children. Within each of us is a capacity to question what we hear and read, but also, and more importantly, to question our own beliefs. Sadly, many of us live in bubbles, only wanting to listen to those opinions and beliefs that mirror our own To live outside the bubble takes kind of a courage, a willingness, to change our beliefs based on new and countering information. So, just for a moment, forget if you're liberal or conservative. Forget if you voted red or blue. Forget about your stance on political issues, like immigration. Instead, open your mind and listen to some facts for the sake of our children. Last week, there was a 533% increase in arrests of just registered sex offenders alone. Sexual predators who were caught illegally entering our country from Mexico. These sexual predators who would have been a real threat to everyone, but especially to the most vulnerable of our society, our children, because within the ranks of those arrested sexual predators were child molesters. Now, thankfully, those predators were caught, but based on the sheer volume of those who have successfully made it across the border who weren't detained and identified, Could there be a percentage of registered sex offenders among them? Of course, the answer is yes. We will never know how many, but we would be living in complete ignorance if we assume none. And for the sake of our children, we have to be concerned about any and all child molesters coming into our country, regardless of our current belief about immigration. That is just one example of how we need to think of our children first before we think of some political talking point, like immigration. Now, on the other side of the immigration issue, when a woman who is here le- illegally is raped, we must make her feel safe to report the crime. We have to provide her a safe haven from deportation so she can talk openly, willingly to the police. And in turn, we as a society will be able to learn about that crime and apprehend a predator. Again, keeping our society safe is primary. It's not about left and right. It's about doing what is right. Did I burst your bubble? Let's get real.
1: Wow, Darren, that just gave me chills hearing you read that. Well, it's
0: kind of cold in here.
1: Uh, Well, no. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is Get Real, and today we're kind of doing something a little different here. Darren read the the intro, and Darren, you're supposed to introduce who our other co-host here. I'm going to let you do that that?
0: because it's your gig. (laughs) Seriously. No, it's our
1: gig. It's our gig. Well, Darren Birch and myself are graced today with the wonderful Dr. Lisa Stroman. And, uh, you know, I don't even have the information on this lady's bio because I was relying on Darren to do that. See how I am. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, i got to tell you something. Um, I have been stalking Lisa since she was on Badge Boys, and I am so damn impressed. I watched her TED Talk, and she is one who goes out of her way to protect children. And Lisa... I can't say enough. I got the opportunity to sit here and talk with her before the show started. And we do things in our lifetime because of things that happen to us. And, you know, I feel bad that I'm not talking about your bio. I should have brought oh, that up. See? Plenty
2: of information online.
0: Right. People can just. <laughs> and there is a lot. <laughs> there, there is, is a, a lot, lot. But
1: you have such Very an impressive. amazing, amazing biography of the things that you have done and gone out of your way to protect children. But as with always on this show, we do get real, and I like to peel back the layers. And on Badge Boy, she didn't reveal too much about why she has such a passion working in the field of helping children. So as I sit here and look at her, I am very honored that she's willing to share part of the background as to why she has this passion of going out there and teaching parents how to protect children, especially with the Internet crimes, and Opening our eyes to the things that are out there that are pretty damn scary that we don't even see because we choose to ignore it. As you said before in the intro, Darren, we ignore a lot of things. We don't, we guilt and we shame people. We don't allow them to talk openly about stuff. But Lisa has a backstory as to why she really digs down deep and she has this huge passion to protect our children and to educate parents on how we can do things to look in to protecting our children and just being good parents, pretty much. So if you don't mind, Lisa, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your background and what happened to you, because a lot of this centers around childhood trauma for you and why you've gone above and beyond to make sure our children today are protected from their traumas.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, we were graced with some time before the show, and Darren brings up a good point of all these new predators that are coming in and the fact that we're bringing in all of these strangers that are coming in, but I I, would be remiss not to, as a psychologist, to acknowledge that a predominant amount of child abuse happens in the home. And I unfortunately grew up with a brother that was older, 18 months older than I was, and so for seven years endured. Um, child abuse through the hands of my own brother, um, and had to deal with the fact that parents didn't believe me. Um, the signs weren't seen. Like, what do we do in those situations where it isn't always strangers? Not only do we as parents now have to worry about, you know, whether it's a neighbor or a coach or somebody that we're putting our children with, but we also have to think about what's happening in our own homes. And what's normalized and what's not normalized. Um, And mine was pretty traumatic. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't a consent situation. There was um, chronic strangulation and like, uh, you know, just a lot of threats of death. I've been stabbed by him um, multiple times um, with pencils and, you know, like multiple things that had happened that just was like a fear based situation and I remember thinking like, that I wasn't gonna let this person beat me. And so that that probably who I am today and the resilience that I have and why I went through all this schooling and I did all of these things was because I was like, I'm not going to let somebody hold me down. And so I never apologize for my story. I never want somebody to feel sorry for my story. I never want people to look at me and say, oh, my goodness, how terrible that was. This was my fuel. This was my energy. Um, and, of course, it's trauma, right? So we, mm-hmm. I had to, like, work through that. And it's probably why I went to school for so long. <laughs> um, but, but it is something that I feel like if I can get through it, other people can get through it, but kids certainly can't get through it alone. And you have to have someone there to talk to you and, and deal with that and manage that with yourself.
1: And you also talked about um, off air beforehand that you grew up in a house where you were witnessing something very tumultuous going on between your parents as well. Not not just having to deal with the molestation by your own brother and being attacked and having him choke you out all the time, but the fact that you were seeing your parents emulate this same type of behavior.
2: Yeah, I, my parents my first memory really was like my dad and my mom, I was 5 and I walked out and I heard screaming and my dad was pulling my mom down the hallway and they were arguing about something and I was told to get back in my room with tons of expletives and then I like remember sneaking back out when I heard quiet and found them in the front room and my mom Who's about my size, like five six and little, you know. Um, and my dad, who was six three and about 250, 270 pray at the time, um, she just knocked him out and he went to the ground and she ran out the front door, and I ended up like going out my window um and crawling to the neighbors, all bloodied through the thistles and all of that. And um and the neighbor happened to be a child psychologist. And I remember in the morning I woke up and at five asked how to spell divorce. And knew you know my life would change at that moment. Um, and and really went through years and years of alcoholism and drug abuse and all of these things that my parents you know kind of went through um, on their own and uh, watched from a distance and was graced by uh, my grandmother who moved in, lived with us on and off for twelve years. And that's where I tell parents like you need one person, you know need and if advocate. you're not the yeah, and if you're not the person, find the person right? And, and I don't know if it was intentional by my father that he knew, you know, because of his travel and his work and all of the things that he did, but she, he had that person with me and I had that advocate and I had that person who was like, you're stronger than this. Like, you can do this. And um, I you know, by the grace of God, she was in my life.
0: You know, when you are on Badge Boys and you had brought up your closeness with your grandmother, and I remember it vividly, because as a detective, I was thinking there's a story there, but you, as an expert coming on a show, I didn't want to press because you don't know how somebody's going to feel about that. So that's why it's wonderful that you and Robin were going to have that those minutes. And you said before the show, things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. I was running late. You, you two were able to kind of bond. And, and that's so important to share a story, but not everybody can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to just throw out a few stats. And I hate stats, but just so we can understand, one in five girls are victims of child sexual abuse one in five so when you kind of shared this is something that hits close to you it didn't surprise me sadly yeah Yeah. i mean and
2: that's the that's the part that i think that you as a parent if you're not paying attention to that and you're not looking for the signs i would i would suggest that it's much higher now given the fact that our children are online and we don't know those reporting stats because kids aren't talking about it because it's shame and it's fear and it's Sadly, their fear of getting the devices that are giving them access to be abused getting taken away from them
0: You know when I said I was going to introduce a stat even though I hate stats and you're spot-on because you don't know an unknown And the best way I can describe why I think the numbers are grossly low is because my very first week as a child crime supervisor having came from homicide and rapes and and um different details. I've seen a lot of busy activity. When, when the, the, uh, it gets dark at night, a lot of times the ugliness comes out. And my very first week taking over for that child crime squad, uh, when I was on standby, we worked that Monday, and then at 5 p.m. Monday, my squad's on, on call out, if you will, for the entire week into the following, if you will, Monday morning. I never went home. I never went home. Wow. It was one call after another. And I'm not exaggerating. And for the cops out there, like, well, you're exaggerating. No, I literally ran home, grabbed, knowing this was going to be a horrific, horrific detail in terms of um, call ins. And, and like Lisa said, um, they don't report initially it's delay reporting in the sense that with a homicide we have a dead body we have a scene with a rape many times not most but many times adult women will report and so we have a scene you know especially with the stranger danger not so much with uh, the knowns
1: well even in my case when I was 17 and went home and told my parents I was raped my father refused to call the police and my mother did nothing so there are so many that do go unreported unless there's something more drastic that happens
0: and with us going to a non-seen we're going to uh, is based on like Lisa was saying some advocate in their life that's not necessarily a you know quote-unquote advocate but someone who you know is that uh, guardian if you will in the sense of helping this child whether it be a teacher and of course now with schools you know all again off again a lot of abuse has been going on unnoticed um school resource officers many times school resource officers pick it up in schools um it's so many of these crimes are based on a child finally finding someone they trust enough to, to share something that is devastating their world and i have all these stats that talk about young ladies who have this type of abuse um their relationships suffer um you know romantically sexually uh, intimately um they get involved with drugs of course sadly suicide you are truly a testament to survival and resiliency and I, i thank you so much lisa for everything you're doing in this in this world thank you thank you and thank you of
2: course i think you know it'd be interesting like to mention here that when you're an officer and you report to a scene or you're getting called You know something has happened in that situation. I worked in a family reunification program, no business at the age of 18, but I I thought this is where I kind of started that piece of, like, how do I help? And these women, children had been taken into this system, and the moms and the children had been separated so that the kids could actually be um, spoken to by officers that were brought in through that system. And what I noticed in that, as a young person, Again, didn't have the training. I was just in, just at starting college. Um, but I remember that the, the predominant issue was that those kids wanted to go back. It didn't matter the abuse that was happening. So a lot of times the kids were like, I don't care that I'm expected to do or give oral sex in order to get my deodorant. I don't care that I have to come in and, and be abused at night. I just want to be back with my home, my mom. <sighs> I want to be back in that because they don't know... The unknown, And so I think that it's, there's a lot of victimless crimes where, where kids, to your point, like you might be shamed by a family member or it might be ignored. But it's also like sometimes those victims themselves are like, it's better just to endure it than to tear apart what I know is my system. The devil right. you know.
0: Yeah. And the guilt portrayed by the predator, the grooming process in which that uncle, brother, father, mother... Not just grooming that child first through various acts and so forth. You know, when I say grooming, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about, it's minimizing um, the the shame, if you will, or of the act, so that the child will engage with them. Uh, showing pictures, alcohol, what whatever it may be. But one of the grooming techniques is the guilt. Telling that child that if you this is our secret, if you share this, it will destroy the family. I will go to jail, you will have destroyed our family, and putting that on you know a five year old little girl, yeah, or being threatened, yeah, or physically threatened. I mean, the gamut is so much, and to think that one out of five women have been abused as a child just destroys me, and yet. When I took over that squad, I really realized very quickly that is real and it's more than real because like we've all talked about, many of these crimes go unreported and most of them, I mean the lion's share, 95% are reported late. Um, The other thing I wanna kind of bring in and we could work around it or not is the idea that these folks that are coming through the border that were retro sex offenders, they're not going to just show up in a park they have some type of conduit. They are somebody's brother, somebody's father, somebody's neighbor, somebody's uh, gardener, because we, we went away from the whole stranger danger. As cops in the 60s, 70s, stranger danger. And even though one in five uh, cases, excuse me, one in four cases are stranger dangers, they do occur. They're usually reported. And that's the huge difference other than the, the fact there's a different grooming mechanism. And usually there isn't. But on the stranger danger, it's not a grooming mechanism, but when we're talking about that person in your life, we used to say, you know, a trusted family member and so forth. But it can be the person that you always meet at the the pool or the playground. You know, it can be that neighbor's. Best friend that your parents may not even know about. And you, as parents out there, I'm telling you, if there's that person somehow, not necessarily a trusted family member, but it can be, most certainly can be, if there's that person who just always wants to be around your kids and forsakes a life of their own just so they can be with your kids, don't ever think, well, that's so brazen they couldn't be doing it. They are so brazen. Because it consumes them, it consumes their every waking second. I haven't been told that by countless uh, child molesters who I've caught. They, they, when I talk with them, and and I hate to call it an interrogation because it kind of gives a mindset of you know the light and the, you know the you know the the ruler on the on the knuckles. It's really an interview, and I kind of put myself in their place and and say, why? You know, as a human being, I can't understand this, and I can't. I I don't have that sexual motivation. Um, They do, and it's a lot stronger than you and I. It is... It truly consumes her every waking second. The very first case I ever had, and I may have shared this, and I have, please stop me and we'll move to a different topic, but it was a father who worked for, I'll say it, Honeywell. He was an engineer, you know, very intelligent man, and he just walked into precinct as I was a young troop. So over 30 years, it hasn't just been child crimes detail, patrol officers, run across this, SROs run across this, but the guy just walked into the police station and wanted to turn himself in. A, a crime had not even been reported, and this young cop in the late 80s had no time, no experience, kind of like what you're talking about at 18, and you know had no idea how to interview this guy. I just let him talk, but at the end I had to ask, you seem like a nice guy. You seem like somebody I would trust with my kids, and you have molested your son, and you're sitting here crying, why'd you do it? And he said, it consumes my every waking second. When I go to work, when I go to play, when I go to shower, when I go to theater, when I go to movies, when I go to visit friends, every single second, it's on my mind.
2: You know, when I was in law school, there was a case, Kansas v. Hendricks, and I will never forget this, because uh, he stepped forward as an offender, and he's like, if you let me out, I will do this again. And they're like, we're going to give you programming, and we're going to do all these things, and we're going to get you, and they let him out, and he did it again. And then they put him through all these programs and he, and he actually said that these were the things that he was going to do. And he did it again. And it was so frustrating to read through that and go into, I wanted to go into policy and I was like, we've got to figure this out. you know what our country today, if you commit a crime, a a crime, let's a white collar crime, you're going to go to jail for longer periods than you are going to, if you hurt a child. That's it wrong. is insane the amount of, of policy change that has to happen if we're really going to get – and again, like I'm not saying that putting a law in the books is going to stop these guys, to your point. Like it's part of who they are. But if we don't recognize the fact that this is this internal drive, it is something that they really can't stop. And I think Leroy Hendricks was – I think his name was Leroy. But he was the guy who I remember reading through his case and thinking he knows that he can't stop himself. And I think that we've, from, from years and years of research, understand that they, we need to do something different because we're not stopping it, and we're not recognizing the signs, and we're not intervening early enough, and we're not talking about it.
0: Intervention, I love the fact that you said you know, intervening enough. And I've been very fortunate uh, a few occasions to have arrested a child molester early in their life. And I say that because I'm able to instill upon them. It's, you know, at first I would talk about the shark. You know, the the you know that first taste of blood, and then from that on, you know, they're always going to go. But it's stronger than that. It's literally stronger than that. At least a shark is based on the food supply, and there's other other aspects. These. Predators like a shark, but worse—it consumes them to such a a frenzied. And when I would talk with these young kids, I would kind of explain to them. Uh, and I say, "Kids, I'm <laughs> my grandpa, so everybody, everyone under 50 is a is a kid." Um, I would explain to them that it's kind of like a a car going down a bumpy road, and you want you want to get off on another path. And the more you take that new path, the more you create this road and more that car is going to go down that road and stay on the bumpy path don't go down that road of perversion um there was one young man who as a young man he he found the enjoyment sexual gratification again it's like pavlov's dog and here i'm telling the doctor (laughs) (laughs) what. it's okay good description (laughs) you know he would find himself mounting himself anally on a bedpost, and he found gratification from that. But it got to the point of being violent, and then he would read porn, and it was violent porn. And now he's Pavlov's dog. He's giving himself this gratification based on this reward mechanism of something violent. Can you speak to that?
2: Yeah, I, I think that I've spoken. Um, I should probably do more on it, but like this generation of developing pedophilia because what we see is that we've got kids that are f- watching and looking at their first porn by the age of eight now. Sure. and because, chronic- sure. because of the internet. And because Damn. they have access. It's probably actually earlier now just because of COVID and the fact that we just immersed kindergarten up without any kind of device training or any of that stuff. But it's been typically around eight years old, first exposure. Chronic viewing begins at 11. So if you think about the sexualization of young boys and their age, so if it's at between 8 and 11, you're starting to attach your sexual fantasies at these really early ages, and what you see is that it it progresses. So it's no longer just kind of that normal porn that, like, kind of pops in your box. They have to start searching out more and more extreme porn in more and more cases. But the, the point of the the introduction of that sexualization at that really young age typically can just like any sort of like fetish that occurs where people have fetish on feet because they are masturbating and looking, you know, under the doors or like, you know, they're in a, a lot of times like nobody talks about the rubber fetish, but like boys are like hiding in their garages and they're masturbating in their garages because they don't want their parents to find them. And so the smell of like cars and like tires and anyway it's super fascinating yeah. like in wow. terms yeah. of like <laughs> how these things develop but when you think about the psychology of it you've got these young kids now that are being exposed to pornography at that age so they're attaching that sexual that sexual attraction to these young girls i'm seeing a huge amount of cases where i've got 20 25 30 year olds that are now like going into elementary school ages and being attracted to that age because that's when their exposure to sexualization started. So I think we're going to see this this problem get much worse. And that's where if we're not talking to our parents, if we're not talking to the people that are accessing kids and and are in a protective fashion, and just looking for the signs and looking for the fact that you're actually um, isolating or you see kids that are kind of withdrawing or habits are changing, like those things that We really have to look at and say, okay, what's going on here without shame, without judgment, without making them feel like, oh, my God, if you don't tell this person's going to go. That's the, the piece that pisses me off is that you tell these kids they're responsible for a generation of 10 years of like future predator because you didn't speak up. Like that's not what a victim needs to hear. We don't need to tell them that it's their fault. I mean Robin. Victimization. Yeah. yeah, it's re victimization, like over and over again. Yeah. So I think that you you really have to understand the psychology of your victim. You have to understand the psychology of the predator like you're speaking to. Because it is pretty fascinating to me that they don't a lot of times understand or know why.
0: I, I, I every time you talk it rings a bell of a case I had um, because we've talked about violent predators we've talked about stranger dangers you know we've talked about these different aspects I had a case that was so problematic um, and it was always these knowns these you know somebody would report some caring neighbor some caring teacher some caring individual but when the child wouldn't make a disclosure you know many times the uh, case is predicated on the disclosure of the child unless you have some type of evidence you know that's culpatory in nature um
2: all these cop terms. Oh, that, yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that, that shows that they've
0: done something wrong. The pro- problem with this one particular case, it was a young boy, and young girl. I would I would guess around five to six. You know, the girl was five, the boy was six, and the mother and father figure, her boyfriend, living boyfriend, had created a di- what I called, have since referred to as the Disneyland experience. They didn't go to school. We could go after them for some of these other things, which is what we did. But they created a Disneyland experience and they were Having them have sex with each other And then filming it And then making oh. money off those films And so without having the films Without having the victims talk about it Which they are living in this gratifying world They you know, they perform like to your point You know they don't want to leave this home This is home This is all they know And for us to come in as the government You know we're here to help you We're going to rip you from your family You know you need to tell us You, you know and putting that guilt on them how are we not re-victimizing them it took a lot of work sadly and it took a lot of surveillance and took a lot of things to finally get them to a point where we could bring them in and able to talk with them and it was a very problematic case but these cases i think it just goes to the insidious nature of these predators it can be the mother you know we we always kind of think of the stepfather and and, and many times it is or the brother you know at that weird age where they're finding their sexuality but unfortunately they're also at the age where they want to go on grand theft auto so they're using violence and sex Uh, but a lot of times it's somebody that you just don't expect and we always talk about see see something say something Mm -hmm. as it relates to terrorism the same thing is true with any type of sex crime if you See something? It just seems wrong. You need to say something because a lot of people don't realize that when you report to whatever um uh, organization is in your state, you know, with uh, CPS, within Arizona, where it used to be CPS, um, you have an anonymity. You can sp- speak to these people anonymously. You don't have to call nine one one and report to the police because then you are going to be on record. But you can contact these folks who that's their forte. They're the experts. There's the They're the Dr. Lisa's of the world that know what they're talking about and they can help and they will bring in the police. Trust us. They bring us in. Uh, it's a multi- multiple disciplinary approach to these investigations. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, as a cop, I come in, I truly care. Uh, judicially, we're able to almost be an advocate in some ways we're able to hand them a teddy bear so we can talk about body parts we can talk about good touch, bad touch you know we can do things that you couldn't do in any other type of criminal investigation Um, but when we bring in counselors and we bring in doctors medically as well as counseling it really does help empower the child to go from being victimization a victim if you will to empowering them to understand otherwise there is a You know, I don't want to go as strong as a friend of mine, Kirk Nermy, one time said (laughs) where, you know, every child is a future, you know, you know, the only reason to also offend is because there were children that were offended. And that's just not true, in my opinion. Um, But it is true in a sense. I've seen kids at early ages of having been a victim. They're taken out of that home. They're put in some type of group home and they victimize.
2: It, I, I think well that's a really good point. I think that you have to think about um, what victims are. I think that when you have law enforcement come in and you come in and you're like, oh, I'm stopping this, right? You get called by CPS, I'm going to come in and there's this kind of white knight position that you're in that you, you're like, I'm going to save this person, this kid, or this person, whoever's being victimized. But the truth is, like, you don't know what you get when you pick them up, like they don't necessarily feel rescued. And that's what you're speaking to. In fact, I look at trauma as kind of a layered cake, you know, you have to really look at w- when you're intervening, it might be the top layer, but there's these other two layers that you kind of have to go into And understand
0: not in my (laughs) skill set well and it takes
2: time you can't you know you can't unwind a trauma in in a conversation Uh, I have people come into my office all the time and they'll they'll bring something up and it'll be always well, I shouldn't say always a lot of times it will be that it'll be the last like five or 10 minutes of our session. And like, oh, by the way, like I was, you oh, know, by right. the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's in it's classic about I I really only need or can talk about this for five minutes and I'm just going to put it on your radar and then we can come back and talk about it. Because trauma really can only be unpacked about five to seven minutes at a time. You can't really talk about it directly over and over again with somebody who's been victimized because it's too emotionally fragile for them and they have to catch up to where you are. And so you have to really kind of build in those pieces and it takes a long time to get through all of that. You can't just come in and say, I'm going to here's a teddy bear, we're going to talk about it. If you did that for an extended amount of time, that that child's going to shut down. They're going to just start giving you information that probably isn't always valid because it's too much for them, it's too painful for them, it's hard for them to do. So We've learned a lot over the years, like as we're doing trauma work and we're going through these things. um, And I think it's really important to understand that although we are rescuing them from the outside, they still need to catch up and understand what that means for themselves, right?
0: Yeah, and that's that multiple disciplinary approach in terms of all these disciplines that lend their expertise to bear, not just the the detectives who want to, you know, get the evidence to prove the case against the predator to put them in prison uh and their minds thinking they've just made this child's life safe and in, in in terms in a way you have but the job's not done in terms of the counseling the the medical the the family you know reunification um it there's so much to it i hate to spend gears because we could talk about so many different things but i do want to talk to you about Social media.
1: Thank you for bringing that up. I was going to go. There. with
0: See, great minds think <laughs> yeah, alike. Yeah, and because we have the expert here. Yes, we um, do. Duh. Um, Ashton Kutcher. And the reason I'm bringing him up is because, uh, again, people think in bubbles and good information is good information and he came out recently and talked about how his two children are not on social media he's not you know he believes privacy is a individual decision that makes and and i'm not going to make this decision for them and put them all and plaster them because everyone cares he's he's a big star blah 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 so he's made this choice and he's also kind of doubled down on it and he's talked about social media is a very dangerous animal to to the to the point where he thinks it's going to there'll be like a a paradigm shift where all things going to change drastically. And I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do believe, based on what I've seen, is that a lot of parents are putting their children, like recently with school, are putting their children, in, 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 instead of putting them in front of the TV set to watch, you know, um, Lassie, uh, like in the 50s. Oh, it's dating you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, they are now putting their children in front of the, 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 the monitor. And bad things, you know, you can't Google the, the Spice Girls group and get just the Spice Girls group from the 80s. You're going to get, you know, all sorts of spice. What are we looking at in terms of, you know, Ashton, and the reason I bring up Ashton Kutcher because he's also very strong in BOM. He's, he's on the left. He's part of Hollywood. But we got to burst that bubble again. And I just think people in Hollywood are all wrong. You know, I think Ashton Kusher is making some really good points here.
2: You know, Ashton's been a part of the Thorn organization. who's like one of the co—you know—the the founding people that came out as a celebrity. And I think that that's a really good point. I think people aren't—you know—if they don't agree—if you don't agree with all their politics or all of the things that they're saying, they're not all good or all bad. We all do things that are that are good for society. We speak out on things, and he's speaking out as a parent, and that's from his heart. And he's being a dad, and Thank he's you. choosing a, a lifestyle and understanding the realities that happen online. He's probably no. Um, uh, Dane, you know, like he's not aware of the things that are not, or he is aware of the things that are happening. Right? There's no, str- he's not a stranger to that because sure. of the work that he does. Um, but I think that you you do have to look at the fact that social media is, it basically it's a gateway, right? And it's a gateway for anybody to attach to your kids. And I, you were talking about my other TED talk I did one recently called self worth, um, about self worth and and online, and um, it's how do you um, I think it's like how do you you know, how do you, something, I can't remember the title, something about how do you do something about self-worth or how do you value your self-worth? You'll have to look at that. (laughs) Put it on the link. What's the Um, worth of (laughs)
0: self-worth? Yeah.
2: But it, but it really is like social media looking at it. We have 4.2 billion people online every day. And as a parent, if you're not going to drop off your kid at a stranger's house, if you're not going to take them to, you know, the Sun Stadium by themselves and drop them off because there's 30,000 people there, if you're not going to take them to a mall because you're worried about a danger, a stranger talking to them, why are you handing them a device that allows them to attach to 4 billion people on a daily basis when we know there's over 2 million predators online every day looking for our kids? It is insane to me. And the fact that we have this normalization that's occurring, I think that I was telling Robin earlier, I was um, vetted by a group that has cia operatives working in it and they're like really clean you know like I, you, I haven't really posted anything or whatever and i thought the only rant i've done is against zuckerberg <laughs> because he, that guy can shut down a country but he can't shut down child exploitation it's ridiculous to me right that's a choice so well said. it's about money and it's about the fact that our children are c- creating commodities and data and accessing it the amount of child pornography exploitation that's on instagram on TikTok on all of these platforms it is a dollar game and all of these people when i see zuckerberg on some like hoverboard that's 10 grand and he's carrying american flag you know like i want to put it up and use it as my as my shooting um uh, i I actually do okay (laughs) you know it's like shove
1: it up
0: his ass yeah it's a nice target
2: yeah i mean he he definitely is somebody who has the power to change this and he's not and so you have to ask yourself like why? Why are we allowing this to continue? Why are we handing these devices to our kids? And if we can get Ashton a louder megaphone, if we can get those people to come on board, if we can put the politics aside and we can put every difference aside except for we bring children to the top and we make that our platform, to me, I think that that would fundamentally change our world. But we we really have to look at, like, Congress is putting, like, I think last year they had 2,800 bills on child exploitation that were proffered in front of it. It's about them feeling good about putting legislation up. Nobody's voting for it. It doesn't even make the floor. So what are we wasting our time? Why are we trusting these people if they're not going to pass a bill? You know what I say? Lock them all up. Put their children, put their grandchildren up on the screen. Let's look at their history. And let's find out whether or not you're going to pass some legislation. I don't care what side you're on.
1: Got to personally affect you before you make a difference. Yes, you
2: do. Yeah.
0: And you talk about how this is a problem just today literally the headline this morning was 40 Phoenix area child sex crime suspects arrested from internet related crimes and that is a incredible specialty I, I didn't do that you know I don't even know how to turn a computer on and these experts go in and they pretend they're you know a a um, minor a, a minor mm-hmm. of some sort uh, usually under the age of 14 because that's a a benchmark in terms of how much time they're going to get in terms of sentencing. And in Arizona, the laws are pretty good in, in terms of um, comparative uh, with other States. Um, You know, each thing they do is a separate count um, 20 year, um, you know, minimum on, on, the child uh, exploiting material the pornography the, the so forth um, but the tempe police department partnered with phoenix mesa scottsdale homeland investigations fbi attorney general and they were part of this operation behind the mask and the undercover operation targeted the demand for child sex crimes and human trafficking The investigation had undercover detectives placing ads on websites to the whole uh-huh. idiot i want to say his name uh and like i said the most powerful man in, in the country in the world mm-hmm. um, and these these are sites that are frequently so. If we, the cops, who like myself, who's not an expert in in you know um, oh gosh all that jargon you talk about in terms of computers and uh, what I, the algorithms is the word I was trying to come up with if if the, these brilliant minds that have the truly their finger to press the button to change things if these cops can know where these sites are and can infiltrate them because supply and demand. And within just a short amount of time, 40 people in a relatively small area of Phoenix were arrested for luring miners. You know, and the, the, the charges ranged from luring a miner for exploitation to literally attempting it based on flying in from Denver and so forth. You know, These were people that would have acted on it.
2: Of course it's Denver.
0: <laughs> I, and, you, know, spot. you know, here's a good point
1: too that we're we're not even addressing this side of it because Lisa was bringing up the point about self-worth. Not only is social media and the internet a place for these crimes to take place, but we also have to deal with the fact that our children are being exposed to social media at such a young age that the rate of suicide in children under eighteen, yes, you're still a child at eighteen, whether you claim you're an adult or not, But under 18, there's so many kids that are killing themselves. I mean, I don't even know what the rates change every day on how many children are killing themselves just from the social media bullying. So the whole self-worth issue, I think we need to bring up, too, before we get too close to the end of the show, because it's not just sex crimes that are taking place, but it's also the. Objectivity of girls young girls and even some boys being attacked for their sexuality Um, You know everyone is non-binary now you have different choices with your sexuality But everyone's being attacked on social media and these poor kids are just killing themselves because of it
0: You know you bring up a really good point because when you hear the word sexual abuse you immediately think Hands-on And it's not necessarily Mm hands-on. A lot of it is not hands-on. A lot of it is, you know, photographing. It's using um, luring. It's the voyeurism. It's other type of sexual paraphilic traits in these sexual predators that they victimize your children without your children even knowing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Frauderism. There's so many of these bizarre sexual deviancies that these sexual predators have. And so to think in terms of... Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and as as leaders in this community, and with our different hats, you know whether it be behind the mic, you know behind the, um, the the office and clinical research, or or having worked these cases, we need to talk more about what defines sexual abuse in terms of the scope. It's huge. In fact, they even talk about the stats. You can't even trust the stats because not only is a uh, many not go unreported but different crimes mean different things in different cities mm-hmm. and the stats you know like in in Arizona for example every single rape by definition is also a kidnapping so when you look at kidnapping rates in Arizona oh they're, they're you know, (laughs) they're out out of the stratosphere compared to some place that doesn't have that automatic conduit that every rape is a kidnapping, you know, so we, we need to hear more about this topic and not just once a month when it's, you know, that awareness month.
2: Right, yeah, I think that then with the social media like and with the crimes that are related to that, exploitation doesn't have to be in person. It can be where you're actually taking videos taking pictures things like that and the interesting thing that i see happening in the last year is that it's not just the predators going out there and grooming and luring our kids and like setting them up and actually doing it the kids themselves are getting um to a place where it's normalized for them to go out and put themselves out there so if you i think it's on but i did a special with fox 11 and we had all under age 10 kids um and i I think it's on my site but it's definitely shows how kids are going out there and they're saying i've got some free time like dare me and it's a dirty dare i can do dirty dares please do dirty dares i'm bored like why aren't you coming up with more dirty dares and they're they're going out there and they're becoming so normalized the sexualization that they're offering themselves up in a way that isn't even somebody asking them to do it, which is new to me. So the psychology behind the fact that social media has become so ubiquitous, and so we have all of these people that are coming into our world and telling us, as young children, whether mostly females, but like some males, like that who you are sexually is what your value is, and that's where I I've really felt like defining how do you define your self worth is what it's called, but like it's it's self worth of like you don't you're good enough as you are you don't. You don't have to wear the short skirts. You don't have to go out there and take your shirt off. You don't have to do these things. But what you find is these kids that are like really young, young kids, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we've got 30 people. Oh, my gosh, we've got 40 people. And in the the special that I did, and, uh, you know, God love – um, media for giving time they did a 12-minute special on it and actually showed a lot of the footage um, obviously blurring out the kids and that but they basically came on and you saw these kids with a mom in the background where the kids are like oh my gosh we've got 30 followers and the mom's like oh my gosh that's so great hope you're not doing anything inappropriate and they're like no ha ha ha, ha. ha, ha, ha but ha, ha. they are taking off their
0: shirts and wow. they are
2: doing these things and the mom is not even thinking about what that means and the fact that we're normalizing following and getting people like influencers influencers right you know Mm -hmm. and it's you know I, I joke about this but like years ago I tried to get verified because somebody told me I should get verified on Twitter and they're like you can't be verified you're not you're not important enough I was like I've got a JD I have a PhD I've been talking for 10 years publicly I've got all of these things but going for but you have what me. t-shirt yeah but but I don't have <laughs> followers and so I can't get verified on this website where they're verifying like fake bot accounts that are sexualizing like these animations for kids and it's so insane to me that we don't see that um, happening
0: Another thing that I used to talk a lot about And it seemed That it's kind of died down Maybe there's a reason for it But when I was in sex, I'm thinking I'm dating myself It was you know A decade ago I, I did a lot of lectures On sexting uh, When it became a new animal two, So new That there was no laws Prohibiting it In terms of The children In fact A lot of times Children would find themselves um, A felony For taking a picture of herself smiling without her shirt on for her boyfriend, who then would share it with a friend. So they've all committed these major felony crimes and the laws, in there, at least in Arizona, and I think much of the country changed so that there's an education component to this. Um, but a lot of them didn't realize. And so I'd go to these, these lectures and I would explain to, in school environments. The forum was at the school, you know, in the uh, cafe gymtorium. I would explain that these photos will end up on the internet and some sexual predator who you don't know from maybe Denver, let's say. um, (laughs) He will use this in a grooming mechanism to show little Jenny who he does know that this is okay. See how she's smiling? She gave me this. Of course, this girl isn't, you know, whoever he's, but they use this as a device and this And in terms of suicides, what you brought up Robin, a lot of times the sexting will end up backfiring on these poor young ladies. i I say ladies, but boys do it too. But generally it's the the young girls who are um, um, coerced, um, threatened, blackmailed, whatever words you want to use to keep showing these things, keep doubling down, make it better and better and better. Um, Or I'm gonna tell your mom, I'm gonna tell the teachers, I'm gonna send it out. I'm going to dox you, you know, whatever. And these girls are killing themselves. Mm -hmm. And the race, a real quick story, when I was in Homicide and Night Detectives, I couldn't believe how many kids were killing themselves. I just could not wrap my head around it. And having just lost my son at that time, I had to leave the detail because it was just too many children killing themselves.
2: You one of the recent story that we had, um, you know, it's the second leading cause of death in adolescence. Um, and it, it pops up and down, like you said, up to first to second, um, depending on the on the time, but it's been consistently the second leading cause of death. Um, in young adolescents. And when you look at why and how one of the recent cases I had was a high school group, and they were all from different high schools in the Valley. And one of them just said, Hey, why don't we all? um, Why don't we all take a bunch of pills and commit suicide together as kind of a suicide pact? And one of them put it out there. And so we had I think three kids ended up in the emergency room. Two kids ended up completing the suicide. And it was just like this kind of like, hey, we're bored. Let's do this. So I think it goes back to your point with Ashton Kutcher and like getting the messaging out that social media isn't all about fun and watching videos of people singing and doing these things. There's a ripple effect of these things and the trauma that occurs from the shame and from the hurt and from the fear and all of those things. Is really coming out and going into all of these other people. So if I'm a, an adolescent and I don't have a fully developed frontal lobe, and I'm like just suggesting like my life really sucks, I'm in a really dark place, and I start posting stuff on it, the algorithm itself is going to come in. And it's going to tell me how great you know these things are. Clickbait. It's going to give me more information on being dark and depressed and all that stuff. And now I start to share that with my friends because the algorithm is going to share that with my friends. And so there's like this basically what happens are these cluster suicides that can occur based on one person's event or one person's exposure. And, and I think that that's something that the public needs to recognize. It's not its not if your kid doesn't get it, you know, if they're not the one that's exposed, but if their best friend is, and they're the ones that are like influencing your kid, there's there's a high majority uh, in chance that they're going to start to get influenced by some of these feelings, suicidal ideations and things like that. So it, it really isn't as you know, as safe and as "quote unquote" like um, fun, just because everybody's doing it, we should do it. We have to really start to parent, and it's hard. You know, I get it. Like, you don't want to call me as a parent. Like, I've I've got a family that called me, and they're like, I said, you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> That's me. I'm like, I'm not. The, I'm, I'm the psychologist that keeps it real. I'm like, you're you know, you're, you're actually doing everything wrong. Like, literally, done nothing right. Wrong, right, everything that you've done, like by giving your kids these devices, it's not me, years. it's you. Yeah, and like. You know, like, but but I feel like if somebody's calling me, it's expensive, A, to have my time and expensive for them to to, to to see me and to use their time. And their kids need to be safe. So let me tell you how you do this. Like, let me tell you how you lock these things down. And let me be the bad guy. I'll come in and tell your kids, no, it's not happening anymore. We're not doing that anymore. So, um, you know, I think that you, you sometimes you need somebody to step forward and do I do this digital detox program. And the parents are like, how do I do that? I'm like, Turn your kids over to me. I'll be the bad guy. You're the one who has to live with them. I, I don't have to see them on a daily basis. So. You,
0: you've made a great joke on bad boys about your own kids, saying, <laughs> "You know, a,
2: a, happy, healthy, and safe." So that's what I only. Yeah,
0: I'm <laughs> not your friend. I am
2: not your friend. I'm not. I'm your parent.
0: That's your responsibility as a parent. If there was one big advice, you know, that one, you know, there's of course no magic bullet to solve this problem, but if there was one main advice that you find yourself repeatedly having to share and and you know the the that aha moment in these parents like oh my god i didn't think about it is there one bit of advice that you would give to parents as it relates to any of this whether it's social media whether it's you know red flags
2: you know i say a lot of times like don't love them so much that you're blind Right, so it's kind of that not my kid thing, but I, I think that a lot of times parents, you know, we absorb our kids' behaviors. You know, of course, like you're driving down the road and you're like, my kid's an honor student, doesn't mean that you're that smart. No, I'm just, you know, but like, <laughs> oh, I have proof of that. I've got proof of that. But I mean, it's it's like we own our children's behaviors and their children's choices, and so what I see happening with this online digital world is parents are seeing their kids fundamentally changed they're not the same kid there everything being is different for them But what they're doing is they're absorbing that and they're keeping it as a silent secret and nobody's really talking about it. So I always say, like, don't love them so much that you're blind that they might be that kid that could be presented. So have a conversation where you say, you know, I've heard that this is happening or any of your friends exposed to it? Like, have you heard about it? Because when I go into a school, to your point, I'll go in and talk and I typically separate the girls from the boys, different issues, right? Um, But I'll go in there and I will say, um, how many of you have either you know felt suicidal or feel suicidal ideation, have been exposed online? You know, so I bring up all of these things that that our online world is impacting our kids, and about eighty five to ninety percent of the kids will raise their hand. Wow. So it is it, stunning as an adult professional still to me to know that this many of our children are being harmed by it. So don't love them so much that you're blind. It's my takeaway Wow.
1: you know, guys, I hate to end this because of time constraints, so hopefully one day, Lisa, you will come back and join us because you have so much valuable information to share, not just with parents, but with children as well. Because I had a friend the other day said to me, why are we forgetting what common sense is? We're not really understanding why common sense is missing. And a lot of these situations, it's common sense, but we don't think about it because As children and young adults, we want to belong, and so do the adults. The adults are living in their own technological world and forgetting that they need to pay attention to what their children are doing, and that's our primary job. Am I right? That is our primary job. That's why we're parents. Right. Guys, you know, I can't thank you enough for joining me today, and um, will you come back and do it again, and we'll get into more depth of everything? I'd love to. Absolutely. I love it. You guys, thank you. Thank you. And as always, guys, thanks for listening. Take care. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Get Real with Robin. Join Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, each week as they delve into subject matters most are afraid to talk about, but really need to hear. Join us next week here on Star Worldwide Networks as we continue to get real.